Well, Seth, since it's been a minute since we have recorded, seeing as we just got back from our summer break, I have a question for you. How was your summer? It was hot. Oh, so hot. Um, yeah. But it was a lot of fun, but it was so hot. So this year we decided actually to go to Colorado instead of the beach. Um, I don't know why we did that other than I think half of us, more than half of us wanted to go to Colorado. Amber wanted to go to the beach, of course. She's a beach body. Um, but we went to Colorado and that was like my one escape from the heat for the summer. Um, Amber and I took a little trip together and then I did get up to Montana a couple weeks ago, which was, I guess, my, my own personal escape from the heat. Um, but it was really good. It was relaxing, but it was so gum hot, Tish. <laughs> yeah. It's record-breaking over here, too. And it's annoying to say that because I know everyone just loves talking about the weather all the time, but you can't help but talk about the weather when it's this ridiculous. I mean, it's almost – Kyle actually developed this theory for his own sanity this summer, which is to treat the heat like um, – like Stockholm syndrome, like you have it, oh, meaning it's it's a okay. ho- it's taken you hostage, and mm. the only way to negotiate with it is to act like it's your friend. Um, yeah, and so that's that what makes he's done. Total sense. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, that worked and for him. He said it's actually like he's had you know because he works outside a lot um, that it's been one of the better, more tolerable summers despite our record breaking heat wave of I don't even know how many days we've hit 100 at this point. I don't want to know really. Uh, But I have to say it was wise of you to go to Colorado and not the beach because there's all sorts of wisdom in going to the mountains in the summer. So good for you. Oh, man, I love the mountains. I love the mountains. What about you guys? Did you guys take off and go anywhere? Well, uh, we went to Ireland, which I've written about enough, so I won't belabor the issue, but the kids went. It was fantastic. It was so good. It was, I thought of you guys all the time since we did Italy Mm. the year before with y'all. So it was weird not to have y'all, but it was still so great. And I mean, if we're talking about the weather, just to hit that up, it was green and mid 60s, which felt otherworldly. Uh, Coming back to brown, crunchy furnace of hell. But it was still delightful in all the right ways, both the trip and the people. Because, you know, from our Italy experience, it's always about totally. the people that make it great. And we had a great group. And it was huge. It was it was enormous. But it was great. So thumbs up any, to Italy. Uh, I mean, any, to Ireland. Any, any repeat, any crossovers from Italy and Ireland? We had Jen Eastman again. And oh, she was great. Fantastic. And she, hey, Jen. And she, and she has said, basically, she wants to go to any and all pilgrimages, we or I or however we do this does. So she, I guess she signed up for Greece then already, which is next summer. But um, it's amazing. But yeah, it was just as equally cool people as what we had in Italy. So I don't know what the, that yeah, says awesome. about the kind of groups we, we recruit. But anyway, it was great. And then a few weeks later, um, as of just about a week ago, as the time of this recording, we took Tate to college. So we went up to Ohio. And while it was warm, it was not hot and it was green and it is exactly where she needs to be. I thought it would be impossibly hard to say bye to her. And we definitely shed tears and it felt weird in six million ways to say bye to the kid that made you a parent. But it also felt right, Mm. you know, and Mm. maybe this is my own kid, but she's already texted a bajillion times every single thought that's on her mind. So it doesn't feel that different yet, you know, ask me in a few yeah. weeks. But right now I feel like I'm talking to her just as much as we were before. That could just be her personality. That's awesome. Anyway, it was great. Yeah. 
Well, that's good. Yeah. I guess new a new it's a new school year for Tate. Uh, we have one yeah. who also went off to college this year. Yep. He's actually still living in our house, but he's at college, so that's beautiful. It's a wonderful <laughs> that, thing. That counts. He's loving the the campus life. Um, and then we're we're all back to school now. Isn't that crazy? So it's like the beginning of a whole new situation, a whole new year almost. Yeah. Um, you know, I've long thought of the start of a school year as being a more logical start to new things than January 1st, which feels kind of arbitrary. And it's like the middle of Christmas tide and it's, um, it feels forced. And I feel validated because I don't know if you listen to Cal Newport's podcast, but he actually said in the most recent episode, as of our talking right now, that he feels the same way. He said that the start of a new school year is actually the real new year, because even if you don't have kids, we operate on school years, like mentally, we all think of summer as like, when things are slower, and the school year when things ramp up. And so it's the new year for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in. And it's weird, because it doesn't feel time yet. And the summer went by really fast, though. I don't necessarily hate that, but it still feels weird. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that leads me to this uh, thought or this question. Um, we're in the beginning of a new year. And I know every year you're so good about this. And I've tried to be good about this. And I'm <laughs> decent at it. Um, I'm no Tish writer, But I know at the beginning of every year, new year, you sort of take a look at your goals. You reevaluate. You see what worked the year before. Um, maybe what you want to change. You set some hairy, audacious goals for the coming up year. Um, but so going into this school year, seeing as that you're now like, yeah, this is actually kind of the beginning of a new year. Have you done any of that? Like what, what have you done to like, uh, sort of recalibrate living for this new year? Um, ironically, and maybe God knew what he was doing with this. Um, my birthday is also the start of a new school year, right? So I turned 46 last week and I spend my birthday and January 1st, you know, during the holidays more than the fact that it's January 1st, uh, reevaluating my rule of life, which sounds very commercially, but there you go. Um, Because I write a rule of life and then I tweak it every year. So I did that on the way home from our very, very long drive from Ohio to Texas, but I didn't, I haven't yet had the chance to like sit down and have my reflection question day to myself over coffee because holy majoli has it been hit the ground running this whole uh, August. I hope to do that soon. All that to say, though, is that, yes, I have created two goals for myself and I feel good about them and I plan to reevaluate. Basically, I've long made the kind of premise. I've long espoused the idea that instead of year long goals, we need like 90 day goals. Like we might have these long, like one day goals, but we make them too dadgum long when we just say this year, I'm going to run a marathon when it's like, eh, actually first work on like running around the block and make that your goal for two weeks and then maybe add two blocks next month. You know what I mean? So I've made some 90 day goals, but nothing beyond that. And I feel good about that. So, um, The other weird thing, kind of coinciding, because why not just add more crazy to the month, is that uh, my next book, which is really a journal, so I'm doing air quotes to book, even though no one can see that except you, um, just came out the same week, (laughs) because why not? And and so it's a lot of journaling as well. And so I've just been using that. It's kind of weird. Like, I actually like my own journal. (laughs) So I've been using that. I mean, you should like your own journal. It's 
We received our copy this week. Tish. Excellent. It's excellent. Beautiful. It's, it is excellent. It is excellent. I know you were saying excellent that we received it, but the truth is it is an excellent journal. It is called First Light and Eventide, a daily gratitude journal. And who doesn't need more gratitude in their lives? So uh, let's talk about that because it's super fascinating to me. I want to talk about the premise behind it. This is not going to be an extended commercial, but it sort of is. And so we're just going to be fine with that. We're all going to, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit my coffee and I'm going to listen to you talk to me about First Light and Eventide. So first of all, where does the title come from? Talk to me about First Light and Eventide. All right. Well, there's this idea of bookends. And book I, originally that was going to be kind of the working title of bookends, but then it sounded too like dumb. Um, so bookends are this concept of how we start our day. Like if you imagine a shelf, each one was bookends on one side and on the other side in the middle is the bulk of our day. And the idea is if you don't have bookends at all, the books fall off. Like the day is a mess. If you have bookends, mm -hmm. a book or two might still fall off or fall over, but you've got a much higher chance of keeping your books in place. Books being the metaphor for like compartments of your day. And so there's this idea of morning and evening bookends. Well, first light and eventide has a lot to do with both um, the idea of circadian rhythms, meaning it's good for us to rise with the sun and to wind down at the setting of the sun. We're actually made for that. That's, that's a real thing that we're supposed to uh, partake in with creation. And us moderns have forgotten how to do that because we've got electricity and smartphones that tell us when to wake up, or I guess alarms. Um, but for most of human history, people have just risen with the sun and gone to bed with the sun. And so that's kind of the idea of these terms, but it also has to do with the um, rhythms of the day liturgically, right? We've also, mm. for most of human history, um, lived in a way where we pray throughout the day and we recognize kind of markings, mostly communally, when we need to stop and connect with God and then continue our work. Kind of that aura at labora thing that I talk about all the time, a la St. Benedict, where he says, pray and work, pray and work. That's kind of what we do all day. So Eventide hints at that as well. This idea of it's not just the rising and setting of the sun, but it's also kind of this invitation to wake up and start working and to say goodbye to work and end the day well. So mm. the journal all has to do with starting your day and ending your day well, because I'm a big fan of that. So how do you then start your day well? Or let me ask you this, even yeah. better yet. How does this uh, journal invite <laughs> us to start our day well? Well, I am a normal human person and not a monk or a saint. And yeah. so I am not afforded the luxury of living monastically where I can completely devote myself to hours of prayer or hours of contemplation. I wake up and very often I have... Mm, 15 minutes before I have to wake up kids too, or they need to be awake. And so I don't have a lot of time. And so my, my practice has simply been, especially as I'm drinking coffee, because I need that to wake me up. I just got to write some stuff down. You know, I got to go brain to paper because there's also something about us being bodies that connects with writing, you know, like actual physical pen on paper, as opposed to just like thinking good ideas, actually writing them down makes them more concrete, not only as a way of remembering kind of a we can flip back on, but 
it actually connects us more with these ideas in the here and now. So mm-hmm. um, I've just long had this habit of starting the day with three things I'm thankful for and ending the day with three things I'm thankful for, but I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, wow. Uh, and what I say, I, I say this in the, in the journal, but I've long taught this to my students and, and, you know, anyone I interact with regarding gratitude, it's really important to be hyper-specific because we can only say coffee, my dog and my family so many times, right? Um, <laughs> which is my, those are my go-to gratitude, you know, things I'm thankful for. I'm like sitting there sipping coffee and looking around. It's like, well, there's my dog. There's a member of my family. Here's coffee. Those are all great. I'm thankful for those. You got to actually get really hyper specific for that to not become just drudgery or autopilot or, you know, something that we don't even notice anymore. So it's the difference between saying I'm thankful for the concept of coffee and I'm versus I'm thankful for this specific blend, you know, these Ethiopian beans that have been roasted. Maybe it's the yeah. farmer who grew them or maybe it's the the roaster who roasted them. Maybe it's the coffee shop where I got them. Maybe it's the mug I poured this brew in. Maybe it's, you know, the maker of this mug, whatever it is, like get really, really, really granular and specific. And the benefit of that, not only does it give us more things to be thankful for, because one day I can be thankful for the mug and tomorrow I can be thankful for the farmer who grew the beans, but we actually start noticing the sacramental nature of all, everything. And that's kind of what we mm-hmm. are about on this podcast to begin with, is that you can lift up the top layer and see the divine and everything. And so being really, really, really specific with three things you're thankful for every day helps you live a more sacramental life or at least have a sacramental posture on the day. And so I have um, built up this habit where I do that every morning. And then um, along with that, I then ask the question, I'm going to actually get the journal because it's right here so that I say it right. And then I ask, what's absolutely, no, what is one absolutely true thing about myself or God? And I started adding Mm. this thing actually as a teacher because um, I had my students do this. And I recognized that teenagers believe a lot of untrue things and they function, they go about the day acting as as though those untrue things are true. But the reality is we humans, like grownups all the way to babies, maybe, maybe not babies, children, um, believe act that way too. We walk yeah. around thinking untrue things all the time. And so the yep. idea is to start your day acknowledging one true thing. It can be as simple as like, my spouse loves me, you know, um, yeah. or it could be, I'm actually a pretty good parent, all the way to something deep and theologically rich. And I've long told mm. My kids and students that when you don't know what to put, like if you're thinking, I know absolutely nothing true, memorize this one true thing, which is I'm a beloved child of God, able to do hard things and trust in the goodness of Christ. So Mm. I write that all the time because I can't, it's too early in the morning sometimes for me to like think of something truer than that. So do that. And then I end with um, one more question, which is what's one thing in my control that would make the day a good one? And what I'm getting at there is you're not asking for, you're not saying, please, God, make Mrs. Smith cancel the math test. You're actually acknowledging, (laughs) you're actually acknowledging you have a lot of control in your day. What's that quote from Augustine? Um, Actually, I wrote it down on my, in my journal yesterday. Um, Pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. It's that idea Mm -hmm. of the work part. Like what is, what is one thing you can control? And what that does is it reminds me I have agency. I have free will. And so 
I can't just magically wish myself to be in better shape, but I can go on a run or I can do squats for five minutes. And so I write down something like that. So that was a long answer to say that's how I have been starting my morning. And it sounds like a big complicated thing, but all of that takes me five minutes, really and Mm. truly. So So tell me, has has there been, so like, this is really intriguing, the idea that you're asking one thing that's absolutely true that you can believe and one thing that's in your control um, that you can do to make your day better. Do those ever interact? Like if you do gratitude in the morning and you do gratitude at night, do you ever find that like the one thing that you can control contributes to your gratitude list that night? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I don't think there, I don't think there's a coincidence to that. So uh, the thing, the little line I've memorized, the part of it that says I can do hard things, usually my gratitude in the evening or my one thing in my control has to do with doing something hard, like writing that email I don't want to write. And then that yeah. night, one of my gratitude things can be like, I wrote that email and it's off my to-do list. Or yeah. I wrote that email and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, whatever it is. So yeah, there's a hundred percent a connection. This all is super duper integrated. Um, and really there's a reason between those two questions. The one about one true thing all has to do with kind of our vertical relationship with God and the what's one thing in control in my control has to do with our horizontal relationship with other people. And so mm. um, it's pretty holistic how this all works. And so, yeah, I mean, the bookend concept is in the evening, I do the same thing. And that's kind of where the examine comes into it, which we can talk about in a second. But along with three more things, I also write uh, three things or no, is it three things? No, it's usually just one thing. I mean, you can write as many as you want, but I acknowledge one way I screwed up, which is actually a very Ignatian thing to do. He says that. Yeah. Like, you know, when we're getting into the real examine, um, he talks about like, what's one thing? that what's one way where you did not align your will to God's. I mean, that's kind of huge, but it could also be just like, I totally lost my patience in traffic. I I wrote that yesterday. I legit wrote that yesterday. Um, So it doesn't have to be like huge things like, you know, I participated in money laundering or I, you know, burned my neighbor's house down. It's usually really small things that all have to do with attitude. Like my kid, I rolled my eyes at my kid and I said something sarcastic or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Have you ever money laundered, by the way? Um, if by no, money no, laundering, as your as your attorney, I'm going to tell you not to answer that. Tish. <laughs> I'll, I was going to make a terrible mom joke and say, like, if you mean a dollar in the dryer, yes, I have. Hey, um, <laughs> um, that's a good one. I know it's terrible. And then the final thing I do in the evening is just acknowledge one thing I need to ask God's help with. So it's like a prayer request, but it's it's an actual okay. intention between me and God that I just need to acknowledge and. It's a great way to, you know, turn off the light or move on to the novel I'm reading before I pass out. Yeah. So, yeah. so tell me a, a couple more things. Like, what is, is that your, what you just said? Is that, does that comprise your entire evening examine? First of all, <laughs> what is an examine? Because yeah. I remember the first time I heard the word examine mm-hmm. as a, um, as somebody who just had no Ignatian connection, experience, um, I yeah. was like, what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. Um, and it was kind of mystifying to me. And right. then recently I've, I've actually, I actually renamed my Substack to the examine and a bunch of people are writing me and they're saying, is this like the Ignatian examine? I'm like, no, no, it's spelled completely different. So examine as you're talking about it is E X 
E-X-A-M-E-N. So E-X-A-M-E-N. <laughs> yeah. There is no I-N-E in there. So right. explain to us what is an examine. And yeah. then is that your examine, what you just walked us through? Yeah. Ignatian examine is this concept. So Ignatius, uh, this dude was, he's a saint. He was former military before he converted and then created an order, uh, which later became the Jesuits. So little two peso backstory there. Um, He brought his military sensibilities into his order of men that he shepherded. And so it became not in a bad way, because I think it attracted a certain type of person, but um, it became rather militaristic, which sounds contradictory to contemplation, but it actually became this beautiful marriage of contemplation and activism. But ultimately, um, this idea of examine, what I think of is this quote from him that you could just write books about and contemplate forever is speak little, listen much. That's from St. Ignatius. It's really this idea of listening. And so another colloquial term I've heard to describe examine is backwards prayer. So what this, what this constitutes is at the end of every day, you spend a few minutes and you ask God uh, where were you present throughout my day? And so it's a matter of sitting with God and listening. And what that looks like is you th- you start off just, you know, get yourself, get your mind focused. You then thank God for who he is and also the gifts of the day. And then just ask, help me see my day clearly. Like, let's review the day. Uh, what stands out? What were particular moments where you were super duper present and clear and where you reminded me that you're super duper close? What were times where you honestly, God, felt really far away and where I wasn't sure you were <laughs> you were present? And what does that say about me? And then you just respond to God and you acknowledge there were times when we were close, there were times when we were far and that that distance all had to do with me. I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. That wasn't cool of me, but I'm actually human. And God, you know that I'm human. And the cool thing is, is your mercies are new every morning. So I acknowledge that. And then I take this moment to, to uh, I guess, almost like make a decision to do better tomorrow. Will I screw up and fail? Of course I will. I'm human. But I'm still acknowledging that you're always present. So I'm going to move forward uh, with that truth in, in hope that this thing that I screwed up in, I will maybe screw up a tiny bit less tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> right. Um, so that's the the concept of examine. There's not yeah. a specific ritualistic way to do this. Now, if you read the spiritual exercises, he's hardcore and he, he really maps out how his men needed to needed to practice examine. But we moderns, you know, we, us non uh, monks, non consecrated religious can take the spirit of this idea and make it work for us. There's a lot written out there on like ways to, to make the examine work for you. So that's what I did with this. I've shortened it to just three steps. And again, it's five minutes, but it's a really good intentional way to end the day. Seth, I know you have thoughts about Ignatius, so I'm curious, like, have you ever done intentional examine or is it a little more just organic throughout your day? Yeah, I have big thoughts about Ignatius. He, in fact, he was almost my confirmation saint. Yeah. But then I went Francis because I had a very, very good 
non-Catholic, really non-Christian friend who said to me, uh, Ignatius, like the head stuff, you got that down. Uh, the heart stuff, the poverty stuff, that's Francis, and you need that man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I should be offended or grateful. <laughs> but in any event, I love I love Ignatius. Um, mm-hmm. Big thoughts about him. Yeah, so I did the exam and I did my own exam for a long time, very similar. And the, the biggest part is that whole, you know, I resolve with God's grace to amend my ways and do better tomorrow, that kind of thing. Um, and I find that really to be the best part of the exam. And, I, you know, the, the, I, I love the idea of like seeing where God was at work in your day, um, seeing where you've walked away, where you haven't been present, but it's that resolution at the end of the day that just constantly brings you back to, okay, yes, I'm going to fail, but I can also get up and start over, which is really huge for me. I've had seasons where I've done that more intentionally, um, in the evenings. I've had seasons actually where, I've I've been really diligent to do it in the mornings because my evenings are such a whirlwind with boys and kids and I'm tired and I don't want to think and um which is not a good not not a good answer but it's true. It's so true. That's that's cool. I've done yeah. It in the, yeah, I've had seasons where I've done it in the morning where I've looked back over the day before and that's kind of um in some ways really helped me set the tone for the day ahead. Um, and right now I'm, de- I'm doing it neither in the morning or in the evening. I'm sort of doing it over my lunch break. It's not a pure exam, but it's kind of like a, a check-in with, Hey, where are we? How are we doing today? Where have I missed God at work? Where have I just like jumped into the stream of work and moved on about my way? And where do I need to sort of work to make the back half of my day more connected? So to you know, yeah. as we sit here recording this today, my exam is a little bit more midday. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it just works differently at different points of your life for whatever reason. Yeah, totally. And I'm 100% for that. You know, I mean, make these metaphorical mornings and evenings. Make this a metaphorical first light and eventide for your whoever yeah. is listening. It doesn't, there's not a, a prescribed way to make this work for you because we're real people in a very different world than when the spiritual exercises were first crafted. Um, And it sounds like a really good idea for someone in your life stage, but probably for a whole lot of us listening to do a midday one, you know, because I don't know if you're like me, but I'm also very much toast in the evening. Like I just, my brain is mush. And so there's wisdom there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's this, there's also this, uh, we've talked to, I feel like we've talked about this before and I feel like there's a name for it that you mm-hmm. have mentioned, but I can tell you like around the two o'clock hour, it's almost like the beast comes to visit, you know, it's like right. every bad thought I'm going to have about somebody, uh, out in the world, every temptation towards, you know, greed or lying or whatever I have comes around every moment I want to take a nap. It's, you know, it's like that two o'clock hour is just a beast. And I find that if I take that midday pause, um, my two o'clock hours way, way better. Like it's just clearer and cleaner and, um, it just kind of helps recalibrate my day so that I don't, don't end up like, you know, smoking cigarettes and burning buildings (laughs) down, uh, by two (laughs) o'clock. Right, right. You because know. we are we are ridiculous humans. And you know, we laugh at that now. But honestly, um, who's to say we wouldn't do that with just enough, enough of a push? I'm with you. 
I mean, seriously, um, what? Yeah. I mean, you're a teacher. How many kids do you want to strangle at two o'clock? Don't answer that either, because as you're a lawyer, again, I'm going to advise you against <laughs> it. Uh, right. But right, I feel, right. I think kind of everybody probably battles with that two o'clock demon. Yeah, we do. I mean, it, it was called the noonday noonday demon, but I think it the spirit stands or something about acedia, right? Where we just. Uh, I love this. I've actually been reading about this. You know, acedia is usually the the demon of sloth, one of the vices. Mm. But uh, one of the best definitions I've heard of it recently was just uh, sadness that good things are hard. <laughs> and it's like, man, mm. that is it. And do I not feel that at 2 p.m. or just sometime yes. midday? Like, man, this whole working and being an adult and functioning in the world, this is hard. I don't want to do this anymore. It sucks. And- it sucks, <laughs> man. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's good. You know, I mean, to kind of bring this full circle to journaling, I think that's why we need to write this stuff down. Because when we're just in our heads and when we think about our thoughts that are often untrue, um, we can get carried away with them. But when we take the time to write them down, like pen to paper, our body is doing an action that then goes to our brain, which then feeds into our soul because we're body soul composites that um, I don't know, we actually start functioning in the world just to touch like more of who we're made to be, you know, touch more human. Yeah. And um, that's ultimately the idea of something like examine of gratitude of journaling. And so, you know, you said that this wasn't a commercial, but I'll just say, uh, you can do all this on the back of a napkin while you're stuck in traffic at a red light, but you could also use a journal if you wanted. And this journal could be something you keep on your nightstand to where you cultivate this habit. And hey, you listeners know we are both primarily authors and that we're big fans of supporting writers and supporting good work. So if you like, yes, if you, if you like work that we do, Support your local author and buy their book. And that's a that yes. goes a super duper long way. So both buy it for buy it for us, but really buy it more for you. Really. hundred percent. And and mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna build on that just for a second. Um I've recently I've been writing a lot about and thinking a lot, and I've been writing a lot of my own quietly, not on the internet, um, about the parameters that I will and will not well, the parameters that I kind of will put around the use of artificial intelligence in writing. And I know this feels like a segue, but it's not a segue at all. Um, I think I just decided last week that like absent a spell check, like, um, you know, if Grammarly ever like puts, uh, you know, artificial intelligence in their product or whatever, like absent something like that, um, I have resolved, like I will not use the platform for creative work. I think it's really important to use for, um, non-creative work, form-driven stuff, stuff that, you know, can be specialized and, 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 and that sort of thing. So I'm not judging anyone who uses, you know, artificial intelligence in their create, in their, in their form-driven, their product, productive work. There's a place for it, but in their creative work, no. And, um, and, and I'm seeing a lot of products hit the market right now that I'm 90% sure are generated by AI. And the reason I say that is because I know how hard it is to write a book. It's very, very difficult. And you cannot write a book lickety split on a particular topic that is in the zeitgeist without the use of something to help. And as a also as a co-writer and a behind-the-scenes writer, I can tell you that even that takes a lot of time. 
Um, and so anyway, all that to say, um, people like you who are, who, who I know are not using AI to generate things who are actually, in, you know, intimately involved with the craft and the process of writing and who are like trying really hard to put good words on paper and are trying really hard to provide tools for people to use to put their own words on paper like this journal like that in and of itself is a very very uh worthy endeavor it's a rebel endeavor at this point so if you want to be punk rock if you want to be a rebel if you want to give a finger the middle finger to be exact um to this artificial intelligence garbage creation that's happening, then I want you to put your money where your mouth is and go buy First Light and Eventide, a daily gratitude journal, and actually write down your own stuff. Don't ask ChatGPT to write for you in the blanks. Do it yourself and uh, you'll be more human. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think we need to do an episode on artificial intelligence because boy, do I have thoughts as as an English teacher and as a writer. But um, just to be like fully upfront, I don't even know how to look up AI. Like I'm purposely not going there because I know it's a deep. Now, again, I'm not judging anyone. You're a lawyer. I'm sure you understand the need for certain types of writing. Yeah. Totally. so no judgment when it actually makes sense. But as someone who does not need it, I don't even know how to find it. And I'm kind of scared of it, to be honest, like a, in a healthy way, like a healthy fear, not in a Luddite, like, you know, those dang Martians are going to get us, not that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, if anyone's wondering if I've ever used it for any of my writing, absolutely not. And actually your, your thing about punk rock made me think immediately of one of my favorite Peter Craft quotes, which is... He says, in an age that has thrown off all tradition, the only rebellion possible is orthodoxy. And, Word. and so that is 100% true. And we could unpack that in many different ways. But when it comes to this kind of thing, like the tradition of writing books, um, I think people need to support writers who are still writing real books and buy, like go to your used bookstore and start buying classics and just original paper books because yes. it's crazy what, what people are starting to do with the written 100%. word. So that's my soapbox. Anyway. Okay. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do an episode on that. If you want to hear an episode on that, make sure that you let us know that you're down. Uh, You're down for a little AI chat. Yeah. 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 I actually, you know, we're doing, I'm doing this live on air. I want to create, maybe we need to, um, an email address where people can write us. uh, So we can do AMA kind of stuff. So maybe... Maybe idea. in the show notes, we'll just create an, e- an email address and I'll put it yeah. in the show notes. Anyway, so yes. people tell us, actually write us and tell us if you want um, this kind of thing or something else, or if you just have a question for us, because maybe we'll address it on the show. Yeah. Um, great segue. Anyway, Seth, as we wind down all our chats, I want to know what is one thing adding more beauty to your days right now? So I was talking to my son, Isaac, the one who's off at college now, I was talking to him Sorry, can you hear those dogs? I don't care. Dogs are delightful. I think it's okay, fine. Okay, good. Sorry. Um, I was talking to Isaac, who the, the one who's off to college, about um, uh, this very topic of, of AI, and he is just pissed off about it royally. He just thinks it's the worst thing, and he's like writing in his journal. He's doing that angsty teenager thing, you know what I mean? Like where mm-hmm. you like sit down and you write about all the problems of the world and they can all be boiled down essentially to technology. Yeah. But he was, he was reading to me his thoughts from his journal the other day. And I uh, grabbed a copy of the collected poems of Wendell Berry, 
Um, because as you know, like I love Wendell Berry. Many, many people love Wendell Berry. I'm not alone in this. I understand this. It's like saying I love Maria Oliver. Duh. <laughs> um, this is not a, a, a you know, a, a, a bespoke pick uh, of poet here. But anyway, love Wendell Berry. And I started reading him some of uh, the poems, uh, particularly The Want of Peace, where he talks, he ends the poem about, you know, desiring and wanting the dumb life of roots. Mm. Um, and I read this poem to Isaac and he just freaked out like, yeah, that's how I feel, man. That's exactly how I feel. Aww. And it was just that moment of remembering that poetry can just absolutely put a finger on exactly uh, what we're feeling, what we're thinking and, and, and how we are being in the world. Um, so I just, started going back through old Wendell Berry volumes and um, man, that's bringing me so much joy right now and, and, and sharing them with Isaac and just saying, Hey, look at this one. Hey, I think love about that. this. Hey, here's the poem against the war in Vietnam. Like yeah. how does that act as a corollary for today? And um, so it's just really interesting to me and that's bringing me a lot of, a lot of joy. You know, that's really cool. My class last year, I had seniors write their own mad farmer liberation front. And so I had them insert their own, noun, like the mad blank liberation front and then write their own because I think high schoolers that age, or no, I should say teenagers of that age. Um, they, like you say, the punk rock thing, they, they thrive on being rebels. And it's so interesting. You say that about Isaac, because back to that Peter Crave quote, um, when the only rebellion possible is orthodoxy, I have found, and I don't know if you're seeing this too in your neck of the woods, but I've heard this from a number of people that adolescents, especially slightly older ones, are super into like like getting back to traditional things, like shunning technology, totally. getting rid of their smartphones, totally. getting back to the land and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. It's so interesting. So I think Wendell Berry yeah. is like a great prophet for that age. I mean, all of us, but especially yeah. that age right now. That's cool. Yeah. And we screwed that up, man. I mean, the truth is, and this is yeah. maybe this is a whole nother episode too. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you, me, our generation, we screwed that up. We we took the bait. We smoked the crack. We thought it would, you know, we would be the first generation that could actually be addicted to something and it would be fine. Um, and our mm-hmm. kids are looking around and being like, man, everybody's addicted. What What is happening yep. here? That's um, right. And so they're calling our own like sick version of consumerism out. But again, yeah. and good for them. you're right. But that's a topic for another show. So what is one thing, Tish, that is bringing you truth, beauty, or goodness? <laughs> uh, I've asked you before, and I'm curious if anything has changed in the past few months. Have you read anything by Amor Tolls yet? So Gentleman in Moscow, Lincoln Highway. Okay. All right. Nope. Um, no shame in that game. Just what a treat you have is what I say to that. Whenever someone feels this like, oh, no, I haven't read that. No shame in that game. You need to read Amor Tolls. He is... He is up there with Anthony Doerr and a few others as, I think, one of the greatest living writers. I, I can't Shut get over... your I, mouth. <laughs> I can't get over how good he is at writing. Um, and mm. similar to Anthony Doerr, he's only written a few. And I think there's a correlation to mm. that per your comment about AI and the, the yeah. publishing industry state of things. So I am... I'm reading him backwards. So I read his second novel first, A Gentleman in Os- Moscow, followed by The Lincoln Highway, his third. And now I'm reading his first. He's currently working on his fourth. So I can't wait for that. But I am reading Rules of Civility 
by Amor Tolls. And what's cool about this is not only is he such a good writer that I read out loud some sentences to Kyle, even though this is fiction, um, just so he can experience these sentences. But also, it's kind of cool as a fellow writer to see he's gotten better. So Rules of Civility is great. It's fantastic. But I would argue that his other two books are better. That doesn't mean this isn't still a book I can't put down and I can't wait to finish. But anyway, reading Rules of Civility, I'm just going to read you one sentence. No, sorry, a couple sentences from the preface that I read out loud to Kyle in the car because, oh my gosh, it was so good. So, uh, and you don't need to know any context because all I'm doing is showing you what a good writer he is. He says, in the 1950s, America had picked up the globe by the heels and shaken the change from its pockets. Europe had become a poor cousin, all crests and no table settings. And the indistinguishable countries of Africa, Asia, and South America had just begun skittering across our schoolroom walls like salamanders in the sun. True, the communists were out there, somewhere, but with Joe McCarthy in the grave and no one on the moon, for the time being, the Russians just skulked across the pages of spy novels. So all of us were drunk to some degree. We launched ourselves into the evening like satellites and orbited the city two miles above the earth, powered by falling foreign currencies and finely filtered spirits. We shouted over the dinner tables and slipped away into empty rooms with each other's spouses, carousing with all the enthusiasm and indiscretion of Greek gods. And in the morning, we woke at 6.30 on the dot, clear-headed and optimistic, ready to resume our places behind the stainless steel desks at the helm of the world. I just loved how he said in like five Mm. sentences, he painted an entire picture of the 1950s. Totally. Uh, It was so good. So all that to say, read Amortals and so far read Rules of Civility. Civility, I'm about a third of the way in. Um, I'm sure I'll talk about it more. Okay. But yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm currently, I have to finish Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which I'm reading <laughs> for Fair. a super secret project, and I'm just not loving it, but yeah. I am reading it. Um, so I'll, maybe this will be like my treat for finishing a book that's just fine. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally fair. This is a great chase. It's fine. That's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a chaser. It's like the, it's like the uh, best wine at the banquet after the wine for the masses have been served. It's like the miracle of the water to wine. That'll be, that'll be my immortals. Love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to get us out of here because it's time to wrap it up. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes. You can find all our episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com, where you can also help support the show by picking up the next round of drinks. Because remember, this is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. You can find me and all my stuff at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? Find me at sethhaynes.com and sign up for my Substack there. So for all of this, you can also just head to the show notes of our episode here. Kevin McLeod did the music. Kyle Oxenreiter did the editing. Seth and I did the talking. We'll be back here with more soon. So in the meantime, thank you so much for being here and have a good few weeks. <laughs>